This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris you may have heard me mention that I was going to be up in New York City. Well, that was uh, this past weekend. We were up there for a wedding. I didn't make a big announcement that I was going to go because I don't normally do that. But now that I'm back, I'm happy to tell you about it. And it was an incredible experience all around. I should have got the name of the church. It's actually a famous uh, Catholic church from what I understand. I don't remember the name specifically, but I do remember that it was incredibly beautiful inside although I couldn't really hear a doggone thing. Ever since I had that concussion a couple of years ago, it's distorted my hearing in a really weird way. Uh, A lot of times the radio, for example, it it, it sounds like there's static where there is none. Really annoying, really frustrating. Anyway, with the echo in the church, it was really hard for me to hear much of anything. But I think uh, just being there um, in a place that, um, at least a little bit of a break from the horrors of the world, I guess, right? And to see this uh, wedding taking place, these two beautiful young people getting married, I found it to be very encouraging. I, I forgot to tell you, leading up to this, some of you guys listen and maybe appreciate this. Uh, as the days were leading up to the wedding, I was, um, I was getting a little anxious. And I think that I was mentally beginning to take that or direct that at my wife. She wasn't really well prepared going into this because she was really busy with some other things. And uh, I was having anxiety about going into the city, quite frankly. It's just not my thing. And uh, I haven't been up there in a while. Uh, You see the news. I see the news. And I'm going to tell you a little funny story. We're right coming into the city, too. And um, we'll get to that in a second. But anyway, here's my point. I'm having some anxiety, and I start to um, mentally direct this to her. And I'm kind of start plotting my little revengeful course. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I guess it was around Wednesday, midweek or something like that, I thought to myself, what the heck's the matter with me? My wife is going to be very excited to be up there with her family. She's going to be very, uh, I don't do a lot of the big family affairs. She's going to be excited about having me there. Don't be a don't be a rimrod. That's what I told myself. And this was all mental gymnastics, by the way. I didn't say anything to her. I hadn't done anything. But I just was preparing myself with a very sour attitude. And I purposely put a stop to that. And I went the other way. And I'm really glad that I did. You know, I dressed a little better. I made sure that I conducted myself you know what I mean? In the appropriate way. My first cocktail was whiskey, neat, which I just slowly sipped. You see what I'm saying? Everything was just on point. Uh, I made sure that, uh, you know, my, all of my manners and so forth said hello to the right. Didn't overdo it, and I had a great time. We go to the reception. That all paid off big time, by the way. I was so glad that I made that better, if you will and make it worse um, for no reason, right? I would have been I would have been like the biggest jerk on the planet had I followed my initial plan. So I'm glad I, I didn't do that. Well, the other reason I'm glad, we go to the reception. Now, this is uh, downtown Manhattan on a Friday night, right? And uh, we get in there, and they've got this whole, whole place set up. I don't know how many people were there. Uh, my wife said 225. I said about 250. Over 200, though. Full open bar, top shelf booze. Um, just really nicely laid out. But the band, whoo! I want to. I should have counted. I want to say there were 10 or 12 people in this band. Come to find out that they had flown them in from California for this wedding to do this wedding in New York. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just adding up the cost of the flights for that little endeavor. Just that part of it. You got to get rooms. You got to pay them for their time. Wow. Crazy, crazy stuff when you think about it. 
a lot of money being spent. But I have to tell you, it was spectacular. I was, I was, I started to do the math on it. I couldn't do it. I thought, man, I hope my, I hope my daughter doesn't have any ideas of having a wedding like that. Well, it was my daughter's aunt, Aunt Allie, getting married. Luckily, my daughter wasn't there to see it. She won't get any ideas. I want to have a wedding just like Aunt Allie. Ugh. Well, you better make sure you marry somebody with a lot of money like she did, I guess. I don't know where it came from. I really don't. Uh, but it was really just a fantastic, amazing time. Uh, probably one of the, the, the best weddings I've ever been to, for sure. So it all worked out good. I'll tell you a little funny story, though, about security in New York City, and you're going to kind of laugh at me. Uh, so we're getting into New York City. We're about ready to come into, I, I think it's the Lincoln Tunnel. And uh, we're still on the Jersey side, the last traffic light in New Jersey. And this homeless guy, real rough-looking dude, right up on the car. And um, I think I can just say, I can tell this story safely enough. I don't think it involves anything I have to keep quiet about. So this is a this is a security issue. Now, I can't, I couldn't carry... Uh, going in New Jersey and New York City, I'm not. I don't have permits to carry up there, and <laughs> I've told you a million times. You better know the laws. And you go, oh, I'm carrying. I'd rather take my chances. Yeah, you might want to check into that. People, people have done that and regretted it. I can assure you that they're not. They're not joking about their gun laws. I can tell you for certain on that. Not something to be messed with. So that's not an option. Um, I had a extendable baton in the pocket door of the car, and I had my tactical pen. Well, now he's on the car, so the baton is on like right next to the car. I immediately um, grabbed the dagger. I've now got it in my hand, and uh, I find that to be a very formidable weapon. By the way, people look at it, think it's funny, um, but. At my size, particularly, if I start swinging that thing at you, it's, you've got a bit of a problem. If I catch you with that thing with full swing, it's gonna it's gonna puncture. It's gonna hurt. So, I immediately grab that thing, posture up, look at him, and and said what I said, which I won't repeat here. My wife grabs my arms as you could just say no, thank you, and um, I'm not even paying attention to that. I'm about ready to. Well, listen, here's what I – just to, to give it to you straight, since I'm not a violent person, it, it appeared to me that the gentleman was having a health emergency and probably needed a tracheotomy. That's what was my initial assessment, and I was prepared to give him the tracheotomy. That's really what it came down to. As, as we're pulling away, my daughter says, aren't you going to give him some money? It was at that moment I realized I have a lot of work to do, my friends. I said to them, guys, for the remainder of this trip – I'll take care of the security. No, I'm not going to say no thank you, and I'm definitely not giving him any money. Unbelievable. It actually scares me a little bit when I think of that psychology. I'll tell you this. uh, You hear me talk about a lot of different things, and people think I'm a little bit crazy. But when it comes down to situations like that, you don't want to half-step. I'm, like, right into posturing up. Somebody approaching me, I don't know who they are. I'm like right into how do I kill this person? And um, you're going to say, man, that's just callous, whatever you want, barbaric. I'm not going to allow a situation where my family is in danger. I'll tell you this story real quick. I wasn't planning on going into all this, but it might be more interesting than the other stories I have to talk about. So we get into the reception hall and uh, – um, I do a quick assessment now, all right? I've got my tactical pen. It's not like a great weapon. Maybe you're right to fight your way out of a car, but you know, a shooting situation in a restaurant or something like that, I don't know how great it's going to be. So uh, they had security there at the door, including at the door. Um, but I did a quick assessment. I noticed no sprinkler system, no fire alarms, no fire extinguishers. And if you've heard me talk, you know that those are my go-to weapons of opportunity in many cases, both of them, separately, for different reasons, really. You have a bad actor come into a, a assembly space, and suddenly there's fire alarms. Beep, beep. Have you ever heard commercial fire alarms? That was my best uh, best rendition. Beep, beep. 
And then you've got the strobe lights. It becomes very disorienting very, very quickly. All of a sudden, the shooter, the bad actor, does not enjoy the same control that they did prior to that. And they know that time is ticking. Help is on the way for certain. For certain. Uh, the fire extinguisher, what do you have? You have a chemical agent. You have a smoke agent. And you've got a hell of a blunt force object all in one. Beautiful weapon when you think about it. Really. You know, you start blasting somebody with that fire extinguisher. Okay, all of a sudden, the, the, the game just changed for the shooter very quickly. You see what I'm saying? Well, anyway, I had none of that available. None of it. On top of that, the exit was a tunnel. In and out. One path, like a cattle chute. So I stood all night at the end of the bar watching that entrance. And I noticed that the security did not stay there all the time. There were times when the door was open. Not open, open, but not being monitored. I monitored it. So the uh, the biggest bouncer comes over to me, this black dude, about six foot three. And he goes, uh, I'm wearing my suit, and I'm standing there having a couple cocktails, enjoying the band talking to family members. It was really worked out perfectly. So he comes up to me. He says, um, he says, hey, uh, we're, we're just wondering, are you here working? Are you covering somebody? <laughs> I said, no, man. I said, but I don't, I don't go with my back to the door anywhere I go. He said, I understand. Anyway, we got back. My wife scored some great everything bagels. I had... Uh, bagels for breakfast and then I had bagel tomato sandwiches I'm about ba- I'm going to look like a bagel for Christmas our dog Duke if you've heard me talk about Duke that we love he was a black shepherd lab mix and he was not happy about going to the kennel wow he came home with such an attitude you cannot imagine I couldn't believe it he he was he barked at me I came into uh, my wife's office, and, you know, I thought he was going to come at me. I really did. He had the hair standing up on the back of his neck, and he, you know, that low ground. Who do you you think you're barking at? He was like, you ditched me. (laughs) It was one night. They were at the kennel for one night, and they stayed together. How much better is that? All three dogs. He wasn't happy. Don't you ever... And uh, the last little update I'll give you here, almost 15 minutes into the podcast. My son, 25 years old, I hadn't talked to him much over the last couple of weeks. He was at some important training that hopefully I hear from him later today he can tell me about. 25 years old, and uh, he's serving in Air Force uh, TAC-P, JTAGs. They're what we would call forward observers, I guess. The only, I think I'm saying that right, the only... Ground combat unit in the Air Force? I think so. One of a few, anyway. Special operations, I think they're usually connected with, stuff like that. So he just got to his duty station, and uh, he was out for a little training. But this weekend, luckily for his birthday, back with his girlfriend, I guess. So hopefully I'll hear from him later. He can fill me in on on all the details. But uh, my kids, I'm very proud of, if you heard me talk about it. Both of them are... Fantastic. My daughter's eight. You got some of the boys at school are giving her a hard time. <laughs> They're in big trouble. I was a little worried about her at first, <laughs> and my worry has turned to the boys. Anyway, thanks for listening to me uh, talk about all that. I enjoy uh, sharing some of these personal stories. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with the economy. Uh, there's a big court ruling that came down. We'll talk about that, the effects of this, and what it's going to do to reshaping our government, or monumental, really. I want to talk about the state of, of world affairs and um, some very critical, I would say, domestic security concerns. I told you that story in New York with a little bit of a jest, but I want to tell you some things that are going on here locally where I'm at that I predicted. Uh, so stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss that. If you you have any concerns about the security of your homestead, your property, uh, you're going to want to listen up. All right. So, you know, what's going on with the economy? The first thing is, uh, I was at the wedding. I asked my wife's brother, who's in banking. I said, well, what happened on Friday? These uh, ACH withdrawals, certain people weren't getting paid. 
money wasn't getting transferred, and there was uh, some stories going around. And from what I could loosely gather, it turned out to be some kind of a compliance issue in their systems of a couple of these big banks for some reason. Of course, you know, the uh, dirty conspiracy theorists, uh, you know, people that think for themselves, they were surmising that perhaps that we were having some kind of a uh, initial stages of a currency collapse. Hmm. Well, perhaps. Ironic that that would happen on Friday. We'll see what happens tomorrow morning, Monday morning. We'll see if everything goes well. Maybe it is going to be a currency collapse. You know, these things come very quickly, usually with little to no warning. Do you have cash? Do you have gold available? All should have been part of your preparation. Um, I don't. I don't have nearly enough of either, and that gets to be very tricky. You know, if you think you're going to, like, be ready to convert to all gold, then I, I wouldn't be so sure it's going to go. Like, oh, you know, the currency collapse, you're going to get down to the gas station and offer them a piece of gold, and you think that's going to work. I, I don't know. I wouldn't assume that. Electric goes down. If all payments stop, the government would be forced to step in and take emergency action. It would be like a COVID thing. You just have to. Just take over control of everything, I think. I don't know. But listen, what's really going on with the economy? That's the question. What's happening right now? Are we looking at some kind of major collapse? Are we going into a recession? Or is everything fine? Um, it certainly doesn't appear that everything's fine. The, um, the information that they provide to make it sound like things are rosy, like the jobs reports and the inflation reports and the GDP reports, they always go back later and revise way differently. And then they don't really publicize that. And so people are being fooled into thinking that everything's okay. Now, the flip side is, I don't see any indication of any large-scale layoffs or people not working. There could be a lot of reasons for that, but I don't see any evidence of it. Um, I know this, uh, home building uh, seems to have significantly slowed. Uh, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that I'm hearing that uh, construction activity, construction bidding activity is way up. So where, you know, maybe a year ago, last year, this time, you would have been getting, you know, one or two bids for a project. Now engineers are telling me they're getting six, eight, 10, 12, and more in some cases. And little projects that they otherwise wouldn't bid, they're now bidding. What does that all mean? It means that people are looking for work or looking to keep their pipeline full or nervous about what's going to happen in the future. Okay, here's some real data, real-time data. Maersk, which is a big shipping company, is cutting at least 10,000 jobs as the shipping boom unravels. Now, they probably had a a big run-up, but I think that some of the reliance on the Chinese manufacturing may be shifting as well. Uh, More of it's going to come from uh, Central America, I think. Um, operating profit dropped 90% in the third quarter to $2 billion from $11 billion a year earlier. Amazing profit uh, margin on this thing. Uh, Maersk employs 110,000 people, cutting its workforce to below 100,000, which will save $600 million. So they're seeing, you know, long-term uh, not growth, <laughs> negative growth. Cuts. If they're, you know, what are they posturing? You know, that's a big, the biggest, a big or the biggest shipping company in the world. This, as our population continues to increase with immigrants being piped in, well, it's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, it could just mean that uh, um, the more things are being made in different places that don't require the same shipping. So, uh, this is not what I thought this was. I have this mislabeled, which is problematic. This is on the um, new ruling that came out on this uh, EPA. Let me see if I can find this, because there's a couple details that uh, ruling... Yes, Supreme Court decision. Let me just give this to you. To confirm uh, with recent Supreme Court decision, EPA uh, and the Army Corps of Engineers, that would be, amend the Waters of the United States rule. 
This was on August 29th. Uh, the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the Department, U.S. Department of the Army, announced the final rule amending the 2023 definition of waters of the United States to confirm with the recent Supreme Court decision in Sackett versus EPA. The agencies are committed to following the law and implementing the Clean Water Act to deliver the essential protections that safeguard the nation's waters from pollution and degradation. The action provides the clarity that is needed to advance these goals while moving forward with infrastructure projects, economic opportunities, and agricultural activities. So let me tell you what what happened here. I think I may have mentioned this the other day. This is concerning something called wetlands, which have been determined to be part of the waters uh, of the Commonwealth or waters of the country, um, public spaces, if you will, not private property. And they're protected. And these wetlands, because they're not like the waterway. So if you're going to say, look, the, <clears throat> the, the, the river is protected waters. And where does that river, where, where's the bank begin and end? Because it's not a stagnant thing, right? If you go when it's very dry out, it may just be trickling. You go in a big flood, it may cover this big, broader area. Well, the, the actual um, ecology, no, not ecology, ecosystem of the river, the pond, the, the, the ocean, whatever body of water, includes these swamp areas, if you will, wetlands, they're called, very important to water quality and that whole habitat. It really is. What had happened, though, is the EPA, in their infinite wisdom, had defined these, quote, waters of the U.S., United States, in a way that was overly nuts, if you can imagine that. And you heard me describe it as a developer, where you'd be out here in the middle of Pennsylvania, not near any waterways, and in the middle of this home site, there'd be like this five-foot-by-five-foot area that they said, well, that's that's, uh, alluvial soils, that's wetlands, protected area, you can't build there. And you're looking at it, and you say, this is not marsh. Uh, This is the way the rules work. Um, so I don't know. I was trying to find here to see what the exact um, – so please visit the EPA's web page for the amendments rule. Uh, let me see. I'd have to dig into this more to find out what they're actually going to do now to change it. But that's not the main point in this whole thing. This ruling, what it said to the government was – the government agencies are not allowed to interpret laws in ways that essentially make new rules. And this is fantastic on many, many levels, okay? When you see what's going on with Trump and these uh, corrupt DAs, does anybody remember me talking about um, solicitor accountability, solicitor reform. Nobody cared. Doug Mastriano was running for governor here. I tried talking to him about it at a private party, and he was like, do you have any model legislation? I'm like, no. This is even better. I had no idea. And here's what I'm getting at. The laws should be written in plain English that everybody clearly understands, and if that can't happen, then it can't be enforced, period. I shouldn't have to read through 47 pages of gotcha this and gotcha that, and you should have known, and this got interpreted this way, but in this situation, if you look at it like that, and see this, well, you wouldn't understand. No, if, if they were forced to write the laws in very simplified, plain English, and enforce them in the same fashion, we would achieve the same result on a broader scale. And you wouldn't have this crap going on with these uh, Soros-funded clowns, right? It's a part of the reshaping of our legal system that just happened here, I believe. We'll see. We will see. But the EPA, they have no, they're not elected. They have no accountability. They're just making these rules. And listen, I'm an environmentalist. I'm just saying, I'm saying to you, we do need to protect these waterways. We do need to protect the wetlands, but not five square feet out in the middle of some field somewhere that's not even near anything. And listen, it's just like going to the doctor for all of your health concerns. They're going to have you, they'll have you wearing a helmet and a life preserver everywhere you go. Well, they're just going to keep going down the list, right? So people aren't smoking anymore. So that came off the list. Good. I was thinking about that the other day. I've been trying to kill off the population for a long time. 
Does anybody listening still smoke cigarettes? I would like to hear from you. Do you still smoke cigarettes and why? Do you enjoy it still? Info at ChristopherScottShow.com. Are you a cigarette smoker? I used tobacco for a long time, all kinds. Beech nut chewing tobacco, Marlboro Reds at times, big hacking cigars I liked. Um, And then in the end, I vaped for a while because I knew the smoking was bad. And finally, a friend of mine, his brother, chiropractor, said to me, you know, you don't need to do that. And I said, you know what, I don't. And I never looked back. That was, uh, I don't know, five years ago I stopped vaping. Um, I don't miss any of it. I look back and think at myself, I can't even believe I engaged in those silly things. I wonder how many people say the same thing. Crazy to me, really. Have no desire. The, the tobacco, and it's not that I hate it. Like, it's not if I smell it, I'm like, Ugh. no, not really. But I had a buddy over here, I don't know, a month or two ago, having a little fire out back. He lit up a cigar. He said, can I interest you? I said, I have none, man. None at all. Not even the slightest bit. Anyway, they've been trying to kill us off. Cigarette. I'm told now that uh, cigarettes have another chemical in them that makes them go out if you're not uh, pulling on it. And that's so that when people fall asleep and they're smoking, it doesn't start a fire. Pretty crazy, right? Fascinating. Uh, Speaking of crazy, I was talking to my brother-in-law. He was telling me about how electric bikes are causing a lot of fires in New York City. Not funny, really. Anyway, the EPA ruling. This is really uh, wide-sweeping in many ways and a good thing that know that the, that the, the, the little kings working in the government can't just make up their own little edicts on any level. Um, you know, there, one of the things going on with the EPA, and I don't know exactly how this worked through the regulatory. Somebody works so they may know better than me. But one of the things that they were coming out with is they were saying that, that there can't be any phosphorus in the creeks. Can't be any phosphorus in the creeks Streams were zero phosphorus. It was, always, it was like zero COVID, zero carbon, zero phosphorus. And really, really, in some ways, it was about the phosphorus. And what's happening is uh, at our sewage treatment plants, the, and people don't realize this, that some of these smaller creeks and streams here in our county, outside of Philadelphia, you know, in the summer, sometimes 50% or more of the flow on that creek is from sewage treatment plants. Kind of kind of nasty in some ways, right? Uh, but these things are very well, uh, I mean, you could drink the water coming out, you know, the fish living in there and stuff like that. So once the water's treated, it's, it's completely treated, kind of amazing, really. But either way, I don't know, I'd be down there with dipping my cup, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're waiting in that. But anyway, uh, one of the consequences would be phosphorus in there, which is also coming from other places like uh, lawn chemicals. But um, it would cause these algae blooms, essentially, that would choke out the uh, creeks and streams, killing off the fish and other things as well. I mean, the creeks and streams around here are largely dead from where they were years ago. And so they come up with the zero phosphorus. And I had heard about this. Now, this is going to be impossible. You're never going to be able to do that. Well, there's a different treatment process that uses state-of-the-art UV, I call it sunlight, I'm thinking, oh, so if you just discharge this water out into a holding tank in the sun, it would treat it and sterilize it, wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't know how the UV, probably not. Maybe it would actually make things grow. I don't know. But uh, anyway, that's really what the EPA was pushing. Now, so just hear this out a second. You know, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a positive to it. It really is. The UV technology for sewage discharge is absolutely a better way to go. Um, In that case, long-term operation costs are reduced. I believe. I'm not the expert on this, by the way. I could be wrong. But I believe. I believe that in this case, the UV is more efficient, ultimately reduces operating costs. However, in the meantime, it forces these plants to engage in multi-million dollar upgrades in order to achieve it. Okay. I'm still okay with that <clears throat> to some degree. That's kind of what the regulatory process should look like. And the way they would do that is say, hey, by 2030, you're not going to be able to discharge phosphorus. You're going to need to switch over this UV te- technology. I'm okay with all that. 
it's always been publicly debated and completely transparent. You know, we, we should be keeping the water clean for the people downstream, and this is part of that process. There's just one small problem. None of that is being done through a democratic uh, process. It's being done by some backroom bureaucrats that nobody even knows who the hell they are, let alone elects them. And so they've decided that it's perfectly appropriate for your town, your sewer authority, your tax dollars, your utility costs uh, to go up by a couple million dollars to make sure that we're using the latest technology. Like I said, in this case, um, I, I do believe it was a good effort. But how about some of the other things? I was doing a little calculation. Now, I know some of you think that I'm a little strange, and I know that I am on a number of different fronts. Um, but my father was very mechanical. I always worked with him from a young age. And I don't consider myself to be super mechanical, but I know my way around a few things, at least the basics. And one of the things I learned, I mean, we heated our home with, with wood for a long time. I've known what a BTU is since I was a young age. So BTU is, of course, the measure of heating and cooling BTUs per hour, right? It would be like gallons per minute, if you will, or gallons per hour or miles per hour. How much? Well, batteries are stored in amp hours. That's how you uh, measure the the volume of the, the battery and the volts and the amperage for the battery or the power source may be, need to be different depending on what it's providing, right? So lighting could be low voltage, low amperage. Um, a, a motor might be low voltage, high amperage, okay? Or high, high voltage, high amperage, depending. Um, this depends on what you're doing with it, what the use is. Is it the motor running at high speeds or is it, you know, running under a lot of, of stress, torque? Um, you might make adjustments on all that. But anyway, that's kind of the basics of it. So the bottom line is I was thinking, I wonder if I can figure out, you know, basically how many amps in a, in a BTU. And um, I think our furnace, I got to check. I feel like our furnace here is 300,000 BTUs. But I just used 150,000 as a starting point because uh, you don't find many residential furnaces that are much less than 150,000 BTUs. And here's what I found, and I just I didn't I didn't get into this very heavily. So uh, maybe one of you math whizzes or one of you mechanical engineers can verify all this for me and let me know. But uh, what I came up with to have 150,000 BTU electric heating system here, that I would need over 400 amps of power service. Now, just to tell you, our current electric service is 200 amps. Now, most residential services, uh, you may have a small apartment. Uh, I think the minimum size would be 60 amps or 60 amps for maybe a uh, like an RV trailer. You might even be able to do that on 30, probably 60 though, probably 60. If you have air conditioning in an RV trailer, you're probably running 60 amps on that, okay? 60 amps for like a two-bedroom apartment. The minimum for a three three bedroom house is going to be about a hundred amps, but most newer homes in the country have a two hundred amp service, and in some some of your bigger homes, you might see a four hundred amp service. I've never seen a house with more than four hundred amps. Although you know you, you could you could continue to add uh, two hundred amp services, I suppose. For our house, we have a two hundred amp service. We also have a sub panel. We probably need more like three hundred. Uh, but there's some crossover and all that. We get by with the 200. Um, if we ever want to go to add a hot tub, or uh, my wife wants a pool, we're going to have to add another 200 amp service to get to that. So just to give you the reason I say all that, to give you an idea, if my calculation is correct, if I was going to run full electric heat, I would need all of what I have now and more just for the heat. That is amazing to me. Now, I think to myself, and I, I really can't do this calculation. Maybe somebody can. Like, you know, tell me what a gallon of gasoline translates into the size of a battery. You know, how, how many amps, how many amp hours do I get out of a, a gallon of gasoline? You know what I mean? Um, I know it doesn't work like that. But the point is, it's a lot, an awful lot. I mean, to, to try and heat my home in... In Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, where you know we don't—it's not like we get 
severe winters here. We can, but we don't normally. You know, it is possible we get a couple of days here where it'll be below zero. Or, you know, you might get a week or two in February where it's below freezing for two weeks. You know, we get a lot of pipes bursting and things like that. It can get cold here. And at those times, there is no way that you're going to be able to do that with electric. I just, uh, I don't see it as being possible. And then you're going to say that all these cars, and I th- so the point being that this is just not even remotely possible to make this transition. How much of this stuff is being decided by, by some bureaucrats that zero carbon, zero carbon, for what? We don't know. Anyway, I view this latest ruling by the EPA as, as really, really important to hopefully getting our country back on track. And uh, let's hope it happens. I've been talking for a little while here, but um, I want to uh, I want to mention a couple. Oh, this is out of order. I thought so. We're not done yet. Let's get into uh, the world affairs, shall we? Um, oh, by the way, I wanted to mention this. There's there's some other things that are going on that's pretty interesting. The um, at the same time that this ruling came out, conservative Supreme Court, right? Uh, the conservative House of Representatives is also cutting the EPA budget by about 40%. I view that to be good also. No doubt in my mind, uh, the, the state agencies can virtually take over completely as they should. And I would be very much in favor of, of cutting these federal agencies even more. 90% probably. I'd have to get into it a little bit more to give you a, a firm opinion on that. Uh, but listen, th- these are all good things, and I'm hoping that... Um, you know, maybe this Trumpism continues on a little bit, even if they go uh, kicking and screaming at every step. Uh, I do wonder what's going on with the Hunter Biden uh, weapons charge and the tax evasion charges with the money that he laundered from China. Remember all that? We see the checks going to Joe Biden, but we really don't hear a peep about the case. And I wonder why. Now, I think some people would say, well, the wheels of justice move slowly. You know, that Hunter has rights in this. Well, that sounds pretty interesting to me, but I wonder why uh, Why is it that every day we hear a new report, a new charge, a new hearing on the Trump matter? How come there's a gag order that he can't say anything, but every day we're, we know, we know what uh, Letitia James wears and when she smiled, but Trump can't say a word. What's going on with world affairs? I am amazed at the amount of concern that I see with people. People are concerned there's going to be World War III. I don't see that happening. I really don't. Um, one of the things I'll tell you, I'm glad, to, not glad to hear it, but um, was my, it supported my theory is what I wanted to say. Some of the fighting going on in Israel by the IDF, I, I see the imagery. I'm like, what, who is doing the military training? Um, I've seen lots of this going on in Ukraine as well. Uh, um, just poor tactics, such as the IDF. They were all kind of hunched down within arm's reach of each other, uh, under pinned under uh, rocket fire or something like that. Well, they, they shouldn't be, they should be stretched out. You know, one grenade is going to take out 10 soldiers. It's, it's unbelievable. And I, I don't want to get too deep into this right now. Maybe we'll do it another time. But here's what I see. Here's my sense. I think that a lot of these um, Western militaries have gotten way too cozy uh, under having perfect air superiority every time and having perfect supply uh, routes every time. I mean, you had, you know, Afghanistan, they did these forward outposts with air conditioning and gyms and TVs, and this is not the way combat is or is meant to be. And um, I think that the, I think there's a problem. I do not think that the Western forces are in the state of readiness that they once were. Um, maybe I'll do a whole dissertation on that at a later date. But I want to just um, take a look at what's going on here. Now, uh, you have to ask, you know, uh, is, is Zelensky now being pushed to concede to Russia? And there's more and more reports of that coming up that where the United States and maybe Europe is saying, hey, uh, maybe it's time to pull out of this. Woo, really? Hey, you've heard me say this, but what happened to BLM? 
What happened to kneeling for the anthem? Their fist in the air, they were so angry. What happened? It just dried up. What happened to the, we? I stand with Ukraine as long as it takes. They were ready to go to the bitter end, go down with the ship. Now they say, well, maybe we should work out a deal. Really? Now, the United States did announce that there's going to be another $425 million Ukraine aid package. Now, how does this happen? It wasn't voted through Congress. This is all money being filtered through military appropriations. In other words, they're taking ammo. It's supposed to be for our boys, and they're giving it to them where it's being completely wasted at this point. Even they know that. So, essentially what I'm telling you is that the war in Ukraine has been lost, and nobody has planned for this. In the same way these climate change nut jobs don't have any way to replace the heat, okay? Now, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? There's a a lot of important questions that we might want to start looking at going on in Ukraine. Everybody's going to turn a blind eye, and that's where the crimes are really going to begin. What are the consequences of blocking the peace deal between Russia and Ukraine in 2022. The United States did that. Told, no, stand your ground. Oh, really? Why won't Russia tr- trust any deal with Ukraine at this point? How could they? More and more reports of Zelensky on cocaine, Trudeau c- cocaine, Hunter Biden cocaine. This is like a little uh, drug circle running the country. Unreal when you think about it. What factors are going to contribute to Ukraine running out of money and military forces, which appears to be happening right now? What is the human suffering that's going to take place in Ukraine? Do you think that Russia is going to jump in to bail them out? What's the current state of the proxy war between the United States, the European Union, NATO, and Russia? Because the United States, the European Union, NATO have ganged together against Russia, and they're getting their butts kicked. And Russia knows it. What are the outcomes potentially if Russia takes even more territory in Ukraine? Hmm? Suppose Putin says, on to Kiev. What are they going to do? What This failure, you know, you still have Afghanistan, failure. Look at the people of Afghanistan, how Joe Biden failed them. Well, how will the failure in Ukraine impact Biden and, and Zelensky's legacies? Who are going to be the winners in this situation? How's that going to affect global alliances? If you're in Taiwan right now, I'd be shaking in your boots. What are the potential consequences for the U.S. dollar and U.S. assets? They engaged in this economic war on Russia through sanctions, and Russia was like, listen, we we don't need your petrodollars. We have our own gas. They have their own, and they figured that out. The rest of the world's going to do Africa is saying the same. What do we rely on you for? It hasn't worked out well for the rest of the world. So, you know, if we are on the verge of World War III, superior enemies at this point, a dollar crashing with massive immigration here, what's the insurance plan for American families? (laughs) Run to South America? I've said this. You know, this great migratory shift. I'd take it. I don't know if I'd mind going to Brazil. I don't know. You say that. You get down there and you realize how stinking hot it is. So, we're going to see. I don't see World War Three. I don't think the Chinese are in a good spot to fight a, a world war. As, as lacking in readiness as our uh, fighting men are, uh, they're as bad, if not worse. Russia... You know, appears to be winning in Ukraine, but this was no decisive victory, I wouldn't say. That could be for a lot of different reasons. But Russia has not proven that it has this sudden great military might that the rest of the world needs to be cowering of either. What does that all lead to? Stalemate. No clear leadership. Chaos. Okay? And you see that coming into our country. And it's this domestic problem that I want to talk about. We saw a vehicle coming out of New York with Palestinian flags and a headscarf flying from the mirror. Um, I've seen what appeared to be an Arab driver stopping to let out traffic from a mosque, blocking the other drivers. Here's a report. Hundreds converge on 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. This is just a few miles from my house. This is the main regional 
rail hub for commuter traffic. They blocked that, disrupting rush hour traffic last week. But here's the big story I want to share with you. Radnor Township, Pennsylvania. Uh, This is uh, on the other side of the county from me. The Radnor, there's a lot of money in Radnor. You you hear me talk about this a little bit. Uh, People will say that our area is is, uh, affluent. I say the money where I'm at is the fake money. You know, a lot of my neighbors, they have uh, fancy cars and so forth. But I believe that most of them are leased. <laughs> um, in my case, we just don't drive any fancy cars. You know, um, they'll go out with their credit card and buy a fancy patina copper uh, uh, fire pit. I dig a hole in the ground, all right? That's the demographic where I'm at. You go over to Radnor, that's where the real money is. And there's other places too, big money. You know, where you're going to have a two, three, four, five million dollar house, and they're paying cash, okay? And uh, all of it's paid cash, and old money in some cases. That's where the real money's at. Um, anyway, they had some burglaries over there. One suffered a loss of $160,000, another one $48,000, with the burglars taking only untraceable jewelry and watches and a $12,000 designer purse leaving electronics and cheaper jewelry behind, striking between 6 and 10 p.m. This is really freaky. All right, so first of all, I don't have any $160,000 jewelry in my house, so that makes that uh, pretty easy. We don't have anything of that kind of value. So hopefully we're not that kind of target. You see what I'm saying? Now, all these properties have alarm systems, though. What happened? I have a good friend of mine that, uh, he doesn't doesn't live uh, in in Radnor. He lives a couple miles from me here. Uh, his house is probably worth today. I'm guessing uh, around three million dollars. Uh, his I've seen like over a hundred people in his foyer. That's how big it is, right? Uh, his house got broken into. Actually, he's in White Marsh Township. White Marsh, I would say, eh, it's not the same money as Radnor, but there is money over in White Marsh. And these, these big houses are targets of this kind of thing, you know, where you can go in and get a $100,000 hit, man, that's lucrative, right? That's like a year's worth of work for one robbery. So what are they doing? Well, they're going up to these houses. They're completely concealed, so you can't get their identities. And they're climbing up somehow onto the house, and they're going in second-floor windows where there's no alarms. I was talking to a family member at the wedding who just purchased a new house in Connecticut for, I don't know, $5.5 million. Security is a big concern for them. Uh, they have screen sensors for this reason. Anybody enters through a screen if the window's open that they get notified. This is incredible layers of security. Uh, I'm really glad I don't live like this. These actors, they're acting in groups. Um, I really don't know the ethnicity. There's a photo here. It does not look, you know, it looks uh, hard to say, really. Um, no indication of what the races are or anything like that. But one thing is clear. These actors are professionals. These guys are going. A uh, couple of guys, all properly dressed, backpacks on, and um, they know what they're doing between 6 and 10 p.m. at a time when people could easily be home. This is a freaky situation. Um, and just imagine, you know, how level of sophistication. They have um, getaway vehicles pre-staged. This has happened several times, uh, three of these within the past five days. A fourth where the homeowner uh, interrupted them, crossing uh, multiple different townships that could be the same crew, bypassing alarm systems shimmying up drain pipes to get into master bedrooms, master closets, knowing that's where the valuables will be stored. And they have hit some jackpots. So this is very, very dangerous. You've heard me talk about this. Groups of actors, uh, electric bike technology, drone technology. Imagine that you're casing the house and you see that everybody's gone. Trackers on the vehicles. How hard would it be for somebody to slip a tracker on your vehicle? Okay, they're gone. Now, this is the least of your worries. I tell my wife, this is if somebody gets in, we're not here. We're insured. And like I said, we don't have any, you know, uh, you know, Prince Edward jewelry or whatever that I have to worry about. It's all replaceable. Not a big deal. It's the safety of my family that I worry about. 
And then what about a scenario where this, where they become sophisticated, that you get a knock on the door? Yes, hello, this is the gas company. I, we don't have gas service. What's the issue? All of a sudden, the dogs are barking. There's a lot of chaos, right? And little beknownst to you, I said this to my wife, somebody who knows what they're doing armed with nothing but a wonder bar. You know how easily you can pop most doors? Boom. Somebody who knows what they're doing that can break glass without a large shatter, right? Remember, there's a lot of commotion. Meanwhile, there's two guys coming in the back window. Okay, sorry for that trouble, man. All right, we'll come back uh, next year. Okay, see you then. Bye. You lock the door, and you turn around, and there's somebody in the house, and it happens that quickly. How many people are ready for that kind of thing? Um, listen, it's very, very dangerous, and I predicted to you that you were going to see these roving gangs that were going to begin to be a security problem. I tell you, it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. You watch. Um, you know, look at what's going on in the rest of the world. Kidnappings, um, you know, very destructive things going on. Security is going to become the issue of the day as our country goes through this transition. I don't see it stopping. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. doesn't matter who's president, who's going on. I think it's going to uh, really continue. And I would say to you, look over your, your personal property security. We identified a big vulnerability here on our property, and uh, I'm getting ready to order the, um, the gear for that, and uh, we're going to fix that up right away as well. And then uh, the scenario I just described to you for somebody inside, um, we're taking care of that as well, adding some additional uh, layers. Layers, layers, layers. Um, and let me give you just a couple things. I'll let you go. One of the, some of the things I noticed in these videos, first of all, number one, um, not nearly enough security for a home with $160,000 jewelry upstairs. Not at all. Not even close. Uh, not nearly enough lighting, which is something that I've seen as a regular pattern on some of these expensive estates. Like, they'll spend all this money for the home, but I guess they don't want to pay for the, you know, the lighting. Right? They don't want, or maybe they just want it dark. I don't know. Uh, but from a security perspective, it's very dangerous. And it should all be motion sensors. I guarantee if these guys were approaching and every step they took, a light popped on, it would be a huge deterrent in itself. That's how our property is set up. As you approach, you try to get through the gate, boom, the light goes on automatically. And then we have layers of lighting that I can. We can light this place up like a stadium. That in itself. I'm not going to go through all these things. I've gone through it in the past. My point to you is be careful. Even in your house, I think you're going to see this situation continue to change. And if you don't take measures in advance, it's going to be too late once it happens. Hey, God willing, I hope to be back on Wednesday. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.